This is a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. Go to allthews.3cr.org.au. Now, I've come across you, Jason, at uh, several barbecues around the place, and uh, I've often tried to extract some information about your sporting career, and you've always been a bit reluctant to, to come forth. Yeah, is well, it? yeah, no, it just feels so long ago. It almost sometimes feels like, a you know, happened to someone else, so... Yeah, kind of. Anyway, I've got you in today. It's sort of we're in the just getting over World Cup fever. I thought it'd be good to talk to somebody who's actually played football at the elite level. Does it drive you mad when people like me call it soccer? No, not at all. No, I've never been like too religious on terms. Some people are, you know, like the boys, our boys are probably more adamant that it has to be football rather than soccer. But um, for me, whatever you want to call it, as long as you understand what it is, it doesn't worry me. Yes, so. it gets a bit tricky in Australia, doesn't it, with all our footy codes? It does. And now, the big issue at the moment, of course, is the whole uh, Melbourne Victory pitch invasion uh, dramas. Um, and a lot of the commentators are saying, oh, it's the worst day in Australian football ever, you know, this is terrible. But I think back to the old days, there were often riots and brawls at football, weren't there? Yeah, I th- I'm pretty sure we've had worse days in, in football than this, but I guess it's been pretty um, tame for quite some time now, so I guess. And, and I guess, you know, it, it wasn't a good incident, but people like to tend to focus on the negative things. And it's a pity it happened so soon after the World Cup yes, success. Yes, that's true. Yeah. See, uh, before the A-League, of course, uh, was the National Soccer League, NSL. NSL, yes, that's what I played and in. And you played in that. <laughs> that's right. But a lot of the teams were ethnic-based. They were, yeah. Um, did you play? You played for Sydney Olympic. Yeah, my first national league team was Sydney Olympic. Um, I came from the Institute of Sport um, up to Sydney Olympic. Eddie Thompson was the coach back then. It was the Institute of Sport in Canberra? Yes, in yeah. Canberra. So I spent three years there, and um, they had to kick me out because I enjoyed the lifestyle so much. <laughs> they said, "No, it's time to go." So I signed with uh, Sydney Olympic, and that was my first club. Yeah, and that was a Greek based, a Greek based club, yeah. historically, but uh, yes. You're not Greek, and I guess a lot of the players weren't. No, no. It's funny you should say that, though, but I think there was one time on television when the national team was playing, this is more recently, I did come up as, a, for some reason, a Greek player that represented Australia or whatever. So I think it's because I played for yeah. I played for Sydney Olympic, a Greek club, and then I ended up at South Melbourne, which is also a Greek club. Yeah, but, South Melbourne Hallis, I guess they called yeah, it at one point. And also played in Greece for a while, so yes. I guess... So though that, those ethnic rivalries uh, sometimes boiled over, didn't they? They did. They they got pretty um, hostile. I, I mean, I, I remember probably the, the worst I've had is, I guess, probably personally, personal experience was um, I think we played Sydney. I was playing for South Melbourne and we played at Melbourne Knights were big rivals back then. So you did tend, uh-huh. you tend to cop a bit of saliva as you're running out to race. <laughs> You but, know, you know, so. soccer fans are uh, pretty passionate about things and if you add the ethnic ethnicity to it as well and uh, decades of, of, uh, of hostility, yeah, it well, can boil over, I guess. That's right. And I guess that, that you know, the, ethnic, um, the ethnicity and the people you know, from other countries that come to this country, they, they come from a country that lives and breathes. It is their religion, yeah. right? So they carry that passion. And passion's a great thing. As long as it doesn't go too far, I guess. But it, it, I think passion's a great thing in football. That's what's, what's great about it compared to most other sports, you know. You, you see some amazing sights, you know. Now, I've never, I, I kind of follow Melbourne Victory, um, but, you know, I, I tend to focus on players I like and follow them. Yeah. So I've never been to a, a game of uh, soccer in Australia. 
and often I'm put off by the crowd because, yeah. you know, they seem – tell me if this is unfair – they seem to mimic what they see soccer fans overseas doing and so the flares are, are an obvious thing. But you know the jumping up and down and the and the slow clap and all that sort of crowd yeah, behaviour. It seems to mimic what happens overseas. Yeah, it does. And I, you know, I played in Greece and I've seen some you know ripping seats up and throwing them down you know, from the top, you know, from the stadium yeah. and that sort of thing. And so yeah, yeah, they do. They see it. It's it's um, learned behaviour, I guess, like anything, which um, yeah is a pity. You know, again, passion without all of that stuff would just be phenomenal because there's nothing like. A crowd that's singing and you can't hear your own voice and you can't, you know, yelling to someone on the pitch and you can't hear them. That atmosphere is just something yes. to behold. You know, that's the other side of it, of course. And you know, adopting a, a pop song that becomes the song that everyone sings before the game—it's magic in a sense, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, um, yeah. All right, so that's the that's the big issue at the moment. So where did you actually grow up then? I grew up um, in Queensland, so born in Townsville. Uh-huh. Played all my junior soccer in Queensland, up in Queensland. I, I, my first um, club was in Bundaberg. Um, I played for a team called Across the Waves, and they were the biggest club in Bundaberg. And I, my very first game, I was started as a goalkeeper. Ah. <laughs> so how does a, a, a Queensland Aussie kid start playing soccer rather than rugby? Well, my dad's Dutch. He's from Holland. So I think maybe, you know, he, he, to, he told me stories of him playing. He never forced me into any sport, but I think just because he played, you, you want to play what your dad, you know, the sport that your dad played. So I think that's how I started. And I had a little brother that was three years younger, so we were always constantly just playing, you know, soccer in the backyard, one-on-one all the time. Yeah. And how did you get invited to the Institute of Sport? Um, so I am um, with the Institute of Sport, so the way it worked was, I played the junior soccer and, and it was really simple. Um, the structure of fo- junior football in Australia was really simple and I think it was the best structure back then. Is you, If you did well in your club, you represented your regional team you know, in Brisbane, like Brisbane North versus Brisbane South, and they would all play a state tournament, Queensland state titles. And from there, scouts would watch you play and if you did well, that's, that's how you get invited to the Institute of Sports sort of thing, so... It was good. It was one central body back then. That's all there was, the Institute of Sport. So you had, I guess, the best players from around the country coming together to play in a team together in the Institute of Sport. Yeah, I looked on your Wikipedia page, which I know gets, well, it used to get raided by Klaus and Riley and and the lads. (laughs) That's right. So I don't know what's true on there and what's not. But it says something about Watford in in England. Yeah, well, so when I was 15, um, when I was about 15, I I played... National titles, I played above my age and I played the under-18 national titles. And the ex-England manager, I think back then, and Ron Greenwood, who was an England manager, he was watching the titles. I think he said to someone I should go and go to England or someone like that. So someone organised uh, trials for me in England. I, I firstly went to Liverpool um, and trialled up there for a couple of weeks and that was the days of Bruce Grobelow was a goalkeeper and you know all those great players. Kenny Delgleish was in the team. Yeah, yeah. And then that didn't work out, but then I went to Watford and um, trialled down there and I got a contract as an apprentice but 15 years old. And Graham Taylor was the coach back then and the manager, the chairman was Elton John. So <laughs> so how exciting is that for a 15-year-old? Oh, it was amazing. It was amazing because um, I was just lucky enough to be the year they got in the FA Cup final as well, ah. which is, um, yeah, so that was an amazing experience. And so did your parents go with you or were you just sent off by yourself? No, I went off by myself. Billeted? 
Uh, yeah, so I lived with the family over there. They called them digs. And yeah, I was apprentice. I was one of, Watford didn't have many apprentices. We had one from Wales, we had one from England, and it was me, so an Australian kid. So <laughs> only three apprentices, which is a low number, I think, for an English first team club to have. But yeah, it was a, you know, there were fun times. Um, yeah. And how did you go? Um, I, I stayed there a year and I was good. It was all good. It was going well. But um, when I came home for the off season, I got a bit homesick and. Um, so I actually came back for the next season with my dad, but I, I sort of said I didn't really want to stay. I, I was I prefer to be at home, so I was only young, fifteen, and um, yeah. So my dad went into Graham Taylor, who became the England manager's coach, and said, "No, he wants to go home. He wants to break his contract." And it didn't go down too well. He, I got a bit of a oh. a bollocking from the the manager, but yeah, in the oh. end, I, I went home. And that was after that that I actually went to the I played the national titles back in Australia. And then went to the Institute of Sport after that. Yeah, that's right. Then, but you'd played overseas as well. So I wanted to ask you, um, how does an Aussie player get invited to play for a team overseas? Did you go to Holland first? Um, no, I went to Greece first. Oh, Greece, yeah. So that was a situation where I was playing for Sydney Olympic um, in the National League. So my first couple of seasons in the, in the National League. And then a... a, a a manager from Panathinaikos or some sort of uh, scout of Panathinaikos, he came out to watch me play and he, um, they basically signed me from Australia and I went over then. Yeah, I was kind of reluctant to go because I, I, I actually really enjoyed those first couple of years. We had a really young team of mm. players and it was a great, you know, we had a great time. We went out after the games. We had a, had a lot of fun. Wasn't keen to go, but it was sort of almost like the wheels were in motion and I, and I went, so yeah. So I ended up in Greece. Yeah. So a lot of Australian players go overseas to play and you don't hear of them again. You know, I don't know if it's the press just doesn't report on how they're going. Um, yeah, it's, it, you're right. You don't, until the national team, you kind of don't. And I, I wasn't aware all these players were playing, you know, that came back in the national team where they were playing either. So you don't, yeah, it doesn't really, I guess, if out of mind, out of sight, you know, you don't hear about them there's nothing important going on in Australian soccer at the time then you just won't hear about them but yeah they're, they're obviously you know doing a great job and it's not easy in, in the professional world over there so yeah. yeah so was it difficult yeah it becomes it, like I, I think the difference is in Australia it's more fun you're playing with your mates you go out after the game you have a, a camaraderie that you probably lose a little bit when you go overseas in unless you're lucky you get a, the right team but mm. But it's sort of more like it's a job and you're taking someone else's job. The competition's a lot a lot tougher. You know, there's people, you know, you think about people in South America trying to get their way out of poverty and professional careers the way they do it yeah. compared to an Australian kid who's got a, a very easy life, really, a happy-go-lucky life. So there's that difference. So, Rod Stewart said once, there's two ways to get out of poverty in England. You either play football or uh, do music. So he tried both. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Apparently, he was all right as a player, but I uh, heard that. I heard that, and um, yeah. But um, thank God he stuck to his music. Well, as a singer, he did very well. That's <laughs> he right. Did very well. So it was a cutthroat competition there between the players to get get a spot on the team. Yeah, sometimes. Yeah, yeah. Like the training. That that's the big difference. I think sometimes it, like our training sessions are quite not relaxed, but they're not as intense as they are. There, every training session is it, it's a workout. You know, you're, you're actually, and that's the difference. Really, I think more than anything else is the sharpness that you gain because it, you know you, you're going to get less time on the ball at training as well. So you've got to learn to adapt and mm. think faster and all that sort of thing. So that's so is it like Aussie rules. They have a seniors and a reserves. 
Uh, yeah, yeah. Generally, structure. back then it was a seniors, reserves, and a youth team for most clubs back then. So, yeah. Were you still a youth? I was still a youth back then. I was only 15, yeah. So so which teams did you play in? Did you get up into the seniors? No, because I left. Uh, at Watford I didn't because I was the 15. When I, was, mm. when I went to Greece, I played for obviously the seniors. I was older. I was 20, oh, yeah. 20, 21. So I played seniors in Greece, in Holland, in Belgium. But when I was in England, I was still only 15. I, I played youth team, I think, maybe a reserve game or two. But that, that was it. But the good thing about Watford is such a – a small family club that we trained with all the first team players. So John Barnes was there back then. I don't know if you remember John Barnes, who represented England and oh, played yes, for Liverpool. Yes, he yeah, was there, yeah. and Morris Johnson, who played for Scotland, he was there. So they had some good players. And and as a as a young kid, you probably it's a bit over your head. So you're training with these guys, but you're not really taking it in too much, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. So it's just yeah, you're training and you're playing, but yeah, which may be a good thing. So how did the Greek thing end? Um, Greek thing ended, I ended up going to Belgium, so I left to go to Belgium. So do they send you out on loan? I, I hear them I talk about that. I don't know what happened. I, I think I wanted to leave and, yeah, and that's where I ended up going or whatever. So, yeah. Yeah, so I went to Belgium and played for a team in the first division called Kotrak, which I think another Aussie, like maybe Aurelia Vidma, I ended up playing with mm-hmm. years later or something as well. Um, that was sort of on the French and Belgian border, close to there, so... Um, and then, yeah, and then I went to Holland after that, so which I really enjoyed. Holland, it was a great country. They play great. F- I love the way they play football. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, so back to Australia then, and you got to play a number of matches for the national team. Yeah, I think, I don't know how many games, I don't know that the boys would know the numbers, or they, <laughs> they know more about my stats than I do. But, um, but so, I, so if it says you played 28 games or something... Does that mean you're on the pitch or you're sitting yeah. on the bench? How, uh, how as long as you get on the park, it? you have to get on the park. So I think I've got 30-odd caps or something like that. I think it is. And we might have played some games back then because not every game was classed and in a international back when I played. So you played a lot mm. of friendly games. We even played a lot of club teams like AC Milan and um, who were best team in the world back then and um, some other team, other club teams. Yeah, we sort of played whoever we could get a, a game course. against. Yeah. But playing friendlies counts as a playing for Australia, doesn't it? If it's class and a international sort of cap, oh, okay. then you get a cap, yeah. yeah. So yeah. I think I played more games than I got caps because of the way it worked. Ah, but yeah, okay, yeah. okay. And of course, we were part of Oceania. Yes, that's right. Yeah. So I, I see you played quite a few of those uh, um, qualifying qualifying games, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we, we played qualifiers. I think... I got into the squad. The I think it was a '94 World Qualifying Campaign or whatever that that I was the main one I was involved in. I got into the squad for the one before, but I got injured. I think I think Paul Wade, funnily enough, took me out in a game just before that, and I got injured, so I didn't uh, end up. I was injured for that that and didn't get into that squad in the end. Um, I was in the training camp, and then the the qualifiers against Argentina and that whole Oceania series where we beat New Zealand. Then we had to go and play Canada, and then. Argentina to try and get into the World Cup. That was my main campaign. Yeah. Wow. And Argentina. Argentina. Are they yeah. tough? Oh, amazing. I mean, Diego was there, and they just not just Diego. They had some great players back then that were like world class strikers. Um, Batistuta, I think it was Balbo. Um, Redondo was in centre, you know, defensive midfield or whatever. Was it two games? One home and one away. One home, one away. Yeah. What was yeah. the away atmosphere like? Best, probably the best atmosphere I've ever experienced. I think in a in a stadium anywhere. 
that was the one where you just couldn't hear anything, just the singing and the dancing and the you know the whistling. It was incredible. So this is back in the late eighties, around about. This is 19- the early nineties. Oh, early nineties, yeah. ninety-four. Yeah. That was, I think. That camp, I think it was ninety-three, ninety-four, something like that. Yeah. So are we a better team now? It's hard to you know. It's hard to judge. It's hard to judge because different areas, different styles of play, and, and I'm not playing them, so you can't. You know, you really don't get a gauge. I think watching it all the time, what the difference is. But if you're on a pitch, you, that's when you can really tell, I guess. Mm. Um, I'd say different. The game's probably changed a little bit, you know, the styles. Sometimes I look at watch the game now. And I don't watch I don't watch a lot of soccer in general. I love the World Cup. I always, you know, every four years I, I do love watching the best teams. And I, it's great to watch the different styles and different cultures play each other as well. Um, but I think sometimes I watch a game and it – feels more like a five-a-side sometimes, you know, than it did back when we played. And, mm. and it's a bit like, I guess, AFL. All the sports have evolved a bit, you know. Probably more athleticism, more athletes playing the game than there was back then. Like, Well, it's probably happened in every sport, I hasn't think it? So. The, yeah, the level I of think professionalism so. which, and the time. Which is good. And, you know, it's, it's a pity in a way because some of those individual characters that you, even AFL that you saw, mm. I don't know, the Jarman brothers and things like that, would they be playing now or would they, you know... Do, those sort of players and yes, you wouldn't call them elite athletes. Elite athletes, yeah, yeah. They could play the game. They could play the game. They they just bring in football brains, which I which I really appreciate. Yeah. So, what's your take out of this World Cup that's just concluded? Um. Well, what impressed you? What disappointed you? I think um, I was impressed by some of the up and coming teams. Like um, I think you know the athleticism of some of the teams like really showed. Like USA, I think they're going to be. A good team in the future. Maybe they're building towards their own mm. hosting next in the next that's four right, years. Yeah. They're impressive, and some of the teams like Saudi Arabia beating Argentina. You know that's amazing. Um, so yeah, the closeness of some of the you know the teams, the closeness of some of the teams that you wouldn't expect to be doing so well. Mm. You know they they actually did very well. So Morocco, amazing. You know so well, it's a great game in the sense that upsets are always on the cards, aren't they? Yeah, you know, but slow scoring. Yeah, it is, and but. Probably happened more than I thought in this tournament than than possibly in the past. Class will usually come to the fore. Class, yeah, it does. Like, and I think maybe something that's probably helped the the teams that are probably not classed the top echelon of teams in the tournament is the fact that they had five subs. So I think, you know, if you're a classy side and you're eventually gonna, and you've only got three subs or two, you know, like less three, I think three, three substitutes, then. Eventually, you're going to wear that team down, and and, yeah. and maybe those players are going to get a little bit more fatigued, and then that's when a classy player will strike. He just needs a you know a gap or an opening to to make make the difference. If you've got five subs, you can if you can throw on some fresh legs to plug those gaps where the people are getting tired, then maybe it gets harder to open up a, a team that maybe not be quite as good as you. So I think that probably helped the teams that weren't. You know the Argentinas and the Frances as well, to a, to a degree. And the quality on their bench is uh, doesn't drop away, does it? So no, whereas no, the, the, the the teams with fewer populations probably yeah. uh, might have a couple of good players on the bench, and yeah. others making up the numbers. I don't know. No, that's right. And Argentina, to, to be honest, at the start of the tournament when they lost to Saudi Arabia and um, they were a bit shaky in the next game as well, and I, they didn't. I didn't think they could win the tournament. I, I thought, you know, they don't quite. They, they're, the best team in this tournament, they're not going to be. I didn't think they'd be in the final, but the way they built through the tournament, and, and that's the key, right? Because it happens a lot. Yeah, the teams, yeah. some of the teams that win the tournament, start a bit slowly, and they build the momentum and they into the tournament. And their defense by the end of the tournament was amazing. You know, they were that was a key to me. 
wasn't just the Messies and the, and the Fours, but defensively they were very solid. You know, like they made good teams, you know, attackers, you know, kept them very quiet. And I think that was the key to their success. Whereas France looked red hot from the beginning. They did, and they, yeah, and you know, and they still were very close, and they carried it through all the way, which is also yeah, they've got they got so much depth in their team. It's I mean, the players that weren't even there. So now you know what amazed me was <laughs> some of the penalty shootouts. Some of the shots were shit house. <laughs> is there a trick to it? Because you know, world class players, and they just seem terrible. Some of them. No, I think it's just luck. You know, like, and don't forget the keepers are getting bigger and they're getting better. And yeah. you know, like, and it's a very wide golf. I mean, you stand in the in the goals. Yeah, think, this is a very large area to cover. <laughs> it is large area, but the keepers are getting bigger and getting better at covering yeah. it as well. So it's it's you know, if a keeper ultimately, if a keeper picks the right way, he's got a chance, you know, of saving it. So, and then. You're in that crucial moment where the goals all of a sudden are starting to appear a lot smaller than they actually are, and the keeper's looking bigger than yeah. he actually is. You know, it's that whole psychology too. Yeah. So there were, yeah, there were a couple of bad ones, but I didn't. I think I've seen worse. You know, like you know. So, uh, is there a trick to it? Is there a trick to taking a penalty um, as the kicker? I think practice. I think you've got to be confident. I think you've got to be confident. The more you take it, it's like anything. It's like taking free kicks. The more you practice that the more confident you're going to be you're going to hit the at least the area that you want to hit of the goal you know what i mean so you hit the corner or you hit so but someone like messi he just seemed to watch the keeper maybe yeah. he has super reactions yeah, he, he didn't does. really kick it hard but, yeah there's all these different techniques and uh, but i noticed that as well and i didn't think you were back in the day i think referees used to pull you up if you stuttered and jerked a bit yeah, because yeah. it was like a balk you yeah, know what i mean but yeah. they seem to be getting away with that where they they change their run up and try and get the keeper to commit before they actually take the kick and then they just roll it, which I guess can backfire if the keeper just stands there and doesn't. Someone like Mbappe or Harry Kane, they just yeah. kick the cover off it. Yeah, know? well, that's not a bad tactic. You know, if you can hit it hard, then, you know, it's like anything that even if he gets a hand to it, it might still go in. Yeah, because, yeah. yeah. which it was doing. Yeah, which you feel sorry for Harry Kane because you could see what he was doing, but um, it didn't yeah. didn't come off. I follow Tottenham, so I was really <laughs> hoping he'd do well. No. They did okay, England. They I hope I haven't read. I didn't see any of the press back in England, but I hopefully he didn't cop too much stick for that because you know England, if they had equalised, they could have been dangerous for the rest of the tournament as well. Who knows how that game would have gone? Yeah, true. Yeah. I know. Uh, but I liked his attitude too. You know, he said, "Oh well, he's I'll do happened. it." Yeah, they do, and yeah, and you miss, and there's been some big misses in history, but yeah. Now, I want to play a bit of a game with you. Okay. Um, Don't test my memory on anything because I no, won't. No, 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 no. <laughs> uh, this is called Things Aussie Rules AFL Could Learn from Soccer. All right? So I've got a theory. Yep. I've got a few theories. Yep. So tell me if I'm an idiot. idiot. So <laughs> I really like the advantage rule in soccer. The referees seem to do it really well. They don't blow their whistle. They'll sort of point, or they uh, they put their hand up and they'll point forward or something. Yeah. So everyone knows that there's a foul there. Yeah. And if but advantage is going, if it doesn't work out, he'll bring it back. Yeah. Whereas in AFL, the umpire blows his whistle and everyone stops. Yeah. Except one guy. Yeah. No, I, I agree. I, I agree. I think, but I, I think that comes down to, and I don't. I I watch a bit of AFL, not AFL, but I. I you can't referee or umpire a game according to the rule book directly, I believe. I think you've got to 
referee or umpire in the spirit of the game. Mm. Do you know what I mean? So you've got to you can't just say this is a black and white rule. It's more like the the interpretation of the situation against the rule. So, and I think sometimes I think umpires just you know hold it too strictly. And some of them are very legalistic and and, yes. and just apply the rules yes. without having a feel for the game. Yeah. And, yeah. The best refs have probably played, but yes. I also think there's two reasons for the rules: is to keep the game safe, whatever game it is, and to keep the game fair. Yeah. So I think it's more important to apply those two factors yes. rather than the literal interpretation of the rule. I agree, yeah, because yeah. it can just ruin a game. And it happens in AFL probably more so than football. But, but I think I do think in general like that could be the difference. I don't know if a lot of AFL umpires grow up playing, playing the game. Oh, they usually do they at do. lower levels and so okay. on. Right. So um, like Hayden Kennedy is a friend of ours and uh, he just felt he was too short, too small and, yeah, yeah. and he thought he'd be better but off umpiring. He was also a, a good umpire, though, wasn't he? Oh, he's great. He, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Four hundred games of footy, I think he. But that's the key, umpire. you know. And, and the other thing is, you've got to be able to, you know, like a bit of banter between the players and a bit of, you know, you, mm. you know, speak to them on their level makes a big difference as well, mm. you know. Mm. So, but AFL, like, yeah, some of the rules I saw this year um, were just really, really, you know, harsh. Well, soccer doesn't seem to change the rules much. No. They might adjust things a little Every bit. Every now and then, but not, not as frequently as Videos ASL. change things a lot. Yeah. Um, what were you saying about the, uh, about the substitutes? Have they increased the number of substitutes? I think for the World on? Cup, and I think it was for the heat, for the heat factor that they, oh, they yeah. decided to increase the number because they knew it was going to be hot there and that sort of thing. I don't think that's the normal rule. I've lost track of the Well, rule. that's the principle of keeping the game safe. Yeah. You know? It right. is. Yeah. That's right. Uh, penalty shootouts... I reckon they'd work in AFL. Yeah. Because okay. um, it's a higher scoring game, but you get draws and everyone feels deflated. Yeah. Why couldn't, tell me why, <laughs> you couldn't have five players from one team and five from the other standing on the 50 metre line yeah. and have the full back standing in the goal square yeah. and see who scores the most from those five kicks. Yeah, that could work. I think it'd be great. Yeah, you could, that could work. Yeah. <laughs> if you could kick 50 metres. Be <laughs> because in soccer, the excitement of the penalty oh, shootout. Oh, yeah, yeah. People, some, it's an unfair, from a player's point of view, it's an unfair way. Oh, it's, it's just terrible. It's an unfair way to, but but it's great. You know, the, the tension is oh. amazing, you know. So. In fact, I would eliminate the extra time, which is usually pretty boring because everyone's so tired. Everyone's so tired, that's right, yeah. Uh, and go straight to shootout. Yeah, I agree. Anyway. <laughs> you see, I, I told you got a lot of theories. There you go. I'd like you. Maybe you should test it out one day. Yeah. So, oh, the only thing I like about soccer referees, they don't get hung up on a meter here, a meter there. They just want the game to keep going. Yeah, keep it. So if it's a if it's a throw in from the side, they don't make them stand on the exact spot where the ball yeah. went over. Yeah. Uh, I suppose players crib a fair bit sometimes, <laughs> but you know it doesn't matter. Just just play. Yeah. And same with taking a, a, a free kick. You know, it's, oh, it's about there. That's all right. Yeah, that's make right. Make sure the ball stopped. But, yeah, that's well, fine. Well, again, it's the spirit of the game. It's not, you know, if it's not going to make a, a tangible difference, why, you know, why worry about it and why say, no, no, spot, that spot, that spot, exactly that spot. And Aussie rules can be pedantic about that. Yeah. You know, yeah. they'll bring it back. No, you've got to yeah. take it from here. Yeah, that's right. So that's, that's what I like. The other one, uh, oh, well, we were talking about substitutes. Uh, I think the worst thing that ever happened for Aussie rules was the interchange rule. So they went the basketball way of having players come on and off yeah. all the time. 
which is all right in basketball because it's just a little rectangular court. Yeah. All right. And uh, I think it was a Kevin Sheedy thing. You know, he wanted he wanted interchange players. Yeah. Um, whereas I think. I don't, would you like to see that in soccer, have interchange, players no, come on and off? No, no, I'm a traditionalist. I mean, maybe that's because I grew up in the era. But, but to me, the best, the best I ever thought AFL was, looking from the outside because I didn't grow up with it, was when it was a one-on-one contest. When the, when the half forward was against the, you know, the half back and the full forward was against the full back and, and that was your contest all day and you had to win it. That to me was the beauty of sport in many ways. Just watching those battles, you know, the one-on-one battles. I think the more interchange you have, it's like the five substitutes in soccer. You know, the mm. more you have, the less you're going to have of that because you're going to have more athletes. Just the faster game, you're not going to get those sort of one-on-ones anymore. It's going to be more bodies around the ball because they've got the energy to do so. So yeah. I, I'm against it. I, I think I'd prefer to see less interchange. Players get tired and they can't cover each other, and then you've got a real contest on your hand. A one-on-one. And it's contest. no coincidence in soccer that. A lot of goals are scored in the extra time. Yeah. Or that's coming right. up to the 90 minutes. That's right, because it's fatigue and then lapse of concentration and it's all that sort of stuff. So, yeah, I like, I, I like that. And I, I miss that of, of, of a lot of sports. You mm, know? Mm, mm. So, but I understand why they want to do it. They want to make the game faster and more, you know, more action and more goals and more. But I think you're losing something along the way and you've got to find a balance. Yeah, but you have players sitting on the bench who mightn't get a run. Or yeah. might only get on for ten minutes. Yeah, that's right. Have yeah. you been in that position? Is it hard sitting there on the bench? Yeah, yeah, I've definitely been on the bench before many times, and it is hard. It's hard watching, and it's, it's probably hard once you get on to. Like, I always found it hard to get the flow of the game. I always yeah. felt like I felt like I needed to get. Like the first half of me was a good blow the cobwebs out and get into the feel of the game, and then you know, you, yeah. So ten minutes, I probably wouldn't have been a, say, a good substitute player myself because that's not the way I sort of. I needed to get into the feel of the game. 